Hello, everyone. Welcome to another fantastic edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Preparation with a capital P, <laughs> Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? Oh, you caught me off guard there. Uh, I'm good now. You're, you're making me laugh, so it's good to be good to be hanging out with you today, Dom. Oh, if I can make you laugh at least once every other month, that would be fantastic. So I'm glad I'm, I'm good until, I guess, the new year. <laughs> yeah. now, enough of this banter. Who do we have on the show today? Today, we have an incredibly interesting person, Curtis Minder. Uh, he's someone in his organization fo- uh, focuses and specializes in uh, ransomware negotiation. Group sense. Uh, yes, group sense. Thank you. Uh, among uh, uh, other things. So um, he's, he's been on BBC and Forbes magazine. He's appeared on all sorts of the top flight uh, uh, mass media publications. So it's quite humbling to have him join us on our podcast today. So Christian and I will uh, stop this mindless banter as we were just hinting at, and we will bring Curtis on momentarily. Let's do it. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast today. We're really excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Congratulations on 100 episodes. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for following us. <laughs> so, Curtis, let's start with our first and favorite question. For you, why does cybersecurity even matter? For me personally or for everyone? For me personally, uh, you know, I like to protect my stuff. Um, <laughs> the same reason physical security matters. Uh, I have things that I like to keep. <laughs> um, and I do, I do think, um, I do think that, that, uh, one of the problems in the space, actually one of my coworkers, um, he, he made a, he made a comment about auto manufacturers. He said, I had asked him like, why does this one manufacturer make these amazing cars, but they just break down all the time. And this other manufacturer makes pretty good cars, but they never break down. What's the difference? And he said, well, the difference is security or sorry, quality by inspection versus quality by design. And I think um, that's one of the issues with our industry is there's a lot of security by uh, inspection or compliance rather than security by design. And, and hopefully that's a, a paradigm shift we can foster. Um, so for Group Sense, based in Arlington, Virginia, um, who are your customers that you serve and what kind of problems are you helping them with? Yeah. So thank you for asking that. Um, our customers are primarily large enterprise. We we do some uh, government work, uh, both in the U.S. And, and internationally, but primarily, let's say 90% of our customers are enterprise customers. Um, they range, uh, you know, the, the, the typical verticals like financial, high-tech manufacturing, um, some pharma uh, as well. And the, the the main use case, let's say there's a there's a blanket use case for every customer, and that's very cyber uh, focused. That's digital risk protection services around breach notification, uh, uh, data monetization, stolen data showing up where it shouldn't be, right? Um, misuse of 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 repos, uh, cloud repos, things like that. People publish things on GitHub. They don't mean to be mean, <laughs> but they publish things on GitHub in a, in, a, in an open repo and you know, sometimes expose people's Amazon keys and stuff like that. So we, we're looking for that kind of data is almost like table stakes. And then one thing that we do differently in our space is we also have very use case driven uh, products that that are specific to certain industries. For example, the pharma industry is very interested in counterfeit goods. Uh, the high tech manufacturing is very interested in illegal intellectual property theft and trading. Um, and so we, we specialize in those as well. 
Awesome. And I know one of the things that you focus on is threat intelligence. So just starting at a high level, and I really want to get uh, more into the ransomware negotiation stuff, but what what is threat intelligence when it comes to cybersecurity and what is the value of that to your clients? I, that phrase is so amorphous. <laughs> threat <laughs> intelligence. Um, and anybody that's, that's practitioner in the space will recognize how frustrating it is to try to answer the question you just asked me. So there are varying uh, levels of threat intelligence. And, and so let's just back up and talk about intelligence. Why do we have intelligence like in government, right? So in government, we have intelligence because it informs us about our adversaries and helps us better form offensive and defensive positions as a result, right? That's what we do it for. That's why the CIA exists, et cetera. So threat intelligence in cyber world is similar. Uh, we, we're looking at um, external indicators of, of, of attack or compromise uh, so that we can bolster our defenses and offenses. The, um, th there are various forms of this, and this is where it gets amorphous, right? So there, there are what we would call mechanical TI, um, which is basically just uh, indicators. They're, they're IP addresses, uh, bad URLs, bad actor uh, information. They can be fed via an API and into a firewall to make dynamic rule changes or something similar to that, right? That's the mechanical stuff. Um, that there's there's been um, sort of a, an evolution in the space where there for a while there were companies that would provide these very comprehensive industry or, or vertical specific reports about, for example, if you're an oil manufacturer, they say, hey, look, this is the type of threat actor that is targeting the oil industry. These are the types of tools they use, and these are the types of systems they target. And this is how it might impact you, and here's what you should do. And, there's, and it's basically a you know, a phone book size report uh, for the oil executives to read. Um, and then the, sort of the next iteration of this is, is sort of where we're, we're functioning, although uh, the, the space that the Gardner's coined for what we're doing is called digital risk protection services. Uh, Forrester, of course, has to call it something else. <laughs> but, but basically, th that space is uh, taking customer-specific uh, data and use cases and looking for things. So it's not about like, who, who might attack oil companies, but it's more now about who might attack Exxon? Who's talking about Exxon? What, what, what should Exxon worry about from a, from a, like, let's say a social media negative campaign perspective? Or So it's, it's very broad, but it's specific to that customer and that customer's use cases. And that's, that's what we're focused on. Gotcha. I, I love how you pointed out the lack of standardization among the security community. I mean, that, that in itself is a separate conversation, but um, I, I wanted to, ask you first about ransomware and why it's become so successful. I mean, it's obviously successful from the point of view of a cyber criminal, but why is it so entrenched right now? Well, there's a, there's a number of factors that I think have contributed to the proliferation uh, and increased volume of ransomware attacks and success of those. Um, you know, first, going all the way to the beginning, this, this concept of ransomware is, is not new. It's been around since frankly, the 80s, uh, where you know people were mailing floppy disks to researchers and locking their machines and asking them to send a money order to Panama to unlock their machines or something, right? So it's been around, the concept's been around a long time, but in around 2010, with the proliferation of uh, Bitcoin and blockchain, you know, the ability to send large sums of money across international borders anonymously became available as a tool. Uh, and that, that certainly increased uh, the volume that we're seeing. Um, on top of that, the sophistication. So, so zooming up another 10 years, like in the, you know, 2019, 2020, the sophistication required to carry out these attacks has gone down significantly. In fact, 
you really don't have to be sophisticated at all. Now, uh, you, you there's a concept they call uh, initial access brokers. These are people that break into networks and then sell that access to the highest bidder. Um, and then there's the ransomware as a service platforms, which will basically do a profit sharing on executing ransomware on a victim. So in order for you to become a ransomware operator, uh, you need a Bitcoin wallet and access to Tor. <laughs> you don't have to be a hacker. Uh, you just need a little bit of capital and, and a little bit of tech chops and you can you can become you know, an operator yourself. So the sophistication has gone down. And then just even zooming in a little bit closer to where we are now, I think COVID uh, increased the available attack surface because of the remote work environment. I mean, we can talk about this later, but the, the attacks we see, you know, 75% of them are remote access exploits and or password reuse. So, you know, it's it just made it that much easier uh, and, and a higher ROI for the threat actors to, to execute these attacks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, conceptually, I can see, you know, from a paradigm perspective, how ransomware is very much like kidnapping, you know, like kidnapping in South, South America back in the whenever the 60s and 70s, it was just running rampant. Um, or in Haiti right now. Or in Haiti right now. Ab- absolutely, Curtis. And, you know, the concept of negotiating with the hostage takers in order to gain release of the hostages. How does ransomware negotiation work? I mean, conceptually, I imagine it's the same, but where are the nuances? That's a that's a really informed question, Dominic. Um, the it, it is subtle. Uh, many of the tried and true methods that are used in traditional negotiations still apply because uh, they are still human beings, right? And human beings response the same almost universally to certain certain tactics. And so those things do apply. I think the thing, the nuance to ransomware negotiation is that, you know, in, in most, like if you went and read some of the best uh, ransomware, or sorry, uh, best negotiation books, like Chris Voss's Never Split the Difference, Getting to Yes, a lot of the concepts in there require or, or, or assume that you can speak to the person, you can hear their tone, you can maybe see them, see their eyes, their body language, uh, none of this is the case for <laughs> ransomware <laughs> negotiation. Also, another uh, slight nuance is that in almost every negotiation, there is leverage on both sides of some kind. Um, and, and there is an, in ransomware negotiation too, but not as balanced. Uh, the threat actors tend to have most of the leverage. Um, so it does make it harder and, and nuanced. And then, and then the third thing would be that the, the folks that we're negotiating with are usually English as a second or third language. And so um, there's some nuances around translation and then how that translates tone and context in their native language uh, that you have to be cognizant of. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, wow. So staying on the same topic of ransomware, Curtis, switching over from the company's perspective now, what are the factors that a company needs to consider when they get hit by ransomware? And what I mean is things like what data they have, you know, the PR concerns, the cost of breach remediation, all of those things. Can you just kind of go into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, and that's that's a great question. The you know the, we often focus on the negotiation part uh, because it's the the most interesting, intellectually stimulating part of the of the of the transaction. But there's a whole bunch of other items that need to be addressed, and 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 you brought some of those up, which is. On the front end, uh, you you came in, you ha- you're having a bad day, your systems are locked, you found a ransom note, um, you you've engaged you know cyber insurance, external breach counsel, or or IR or, or all of those things, um, 
And one of those folks is going to bring somebody like me to the table, hopefully, right? And the first thing that we need to do is make a business decision as quantitatively as possible on whether to engage at all, <laughs> whether to respond at all. Um, and, and sometimes I get some people say, well, you recommend paying, paying ransoms. I never recommend any of those things. <laughs> I help customers make a business decision. And, and I'll, you know, just shooting from the hip, 80 plus percent of the time, we pay something. Not all. We never pay the sticker price, right? Um, uh, and then, you know, there's, there's customers who decide to walk away and they'll take their lumps. But some of the considerations uh, that we bring to the table that sometimes aren't thought about is obviously the the operational interruption uh, caused by the ransomware is 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 well known. That's um, and and so there are some you know business math around that interruption that needs to be done. Like well, how long can we afford to be done down? Can we make payroll next week? What does that do to morale if we can't make payroll next week? Can we ship product? Can our customers order products? Uh, those sorts of things. Um, and and there's, there's, a, there's a financial part, but there's also like a brand and PR component where when your customers can't place orders and they, you know what I mean? And your employees are wondering why they didn't get their paycheck. So these are things you have to think about. Um, and then the second part is, as we all know now, the threat actors take a copy of the data and they use it as an extortion play. They threaten to leak it. And so some of the things to consider there, some of them are obvious, right? Like, well, if that data contains employee PII, uh, customer data, you know, uh, maybe confidential records uh, with some of their business partners, all of that can be very damaging. Um, one thing that I think gets lost is, is uh, and actually had a CISO bring this up to me, he said that the operational interruption caused by the ransomware attack was meaningful and damaging to the business, but his biggest concern was that the intellectual property that they had taken and the trade secrets that they had taken had been a hundred year business secret that helped them be the best at what they do in the manufacturing space for a hundred years. He said, and if that data surfaces and, you know, or ends up in the hands of his, let's say, for, for example, his biggest Chinese competitor, the, the impact to the business is much larger in three to five years. Um, and so there's a lot of things to consider about what we're negotiating for here, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think that speaks so well to the people who tune into our podcast because they are those business owners and they do have that, you know, intellectual property that hopefully is a secret sauce for them to protect. It's kind of interesting that we're jumping around from, you know, your position as a, a negotiator and the business and then cyber criminals. I'm thinking about where you gather information on cyber criminals when, whether it's open source intelligence or the dark web or the deep web or the open web. Uh, can you talk about that process a little bit and what types of things you see when you're, when you're observing the criminal elements online? Sure. Yes. So the answer is yes, we do it from all of those places. Um, and so we've, we've been in business for about eight years. We have uh, two cyber intelligence uh, teams, one here and one in Europe that are very good at infiltrating those communications. So we got, and they speak the native languages. Uh, they, they, I think we have like 15 or 16 native languages in-house. Um, and so we're, we're able to actually have conversations with these people. <laughs> and uh, over the years we've gained, in addition to the open source intelligence and open web, deep web and, and dark web uh, stuff that we collect using software, we have human intelligence operatives that are frankly, directly interacting with these folks. And we've cataloged that data. And where that data becomes really useful is, you know, first to your previous question, when making a business decision about this, I need to be able to tell you who you're talking to and whether that person is 
uh, or whether that threat actor group is going to honor the ransom, how long it's going to take, how long they, how much they typically settle for. All of those things will help you make the decision on the front end. But then on a compliance side, you know, the Office of Foreign Assets Control says there's a list of entities and countries thou shalt not transact with. And so we need to make sure that that is also the case, that we're that we're doing our own due care and due diligence to make sure that we're not paying, you know, uh, an ISIS, uh, an ISIS wallet or something. Right. So, yeah. Curtis, you are by far of the hundred plus episodes we've done, probably the most intriguing and interesting person we've spoken to. And you're definitely, we rarely have guests back, but you're definitely on the repeat list. You're going to be coming back. Um, but before we I let you go. a lot of pressure, but I you. <laughs> <laughs> And you better be interesting next time as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Keep the streak going. Um, uh, you mentioned something earlier around cyber insurance. And I'm just curious to your thoughts. What type of role or effect, I should say, positive and or negative has cyber insurance had on the growth of ransomware? Yeah, um, it's it's a that's a tough conversation because they it is a necessary tool for for the businesses. I think um, of all sizes, frankly, the 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 downside though that like everything, there's a plus and a minus, right? There's a plus and a minus to the internet. There's a plus and a minus to cryptocurrency. There's a plus and minus to cyber insurance, and that is. Um, you know, the, the the capital is readily available to make a payment. Uh, and um, sometimes the threat actors are smart enough to know that. that so when, when they do infiltrate uh, a victim, they, they will sometimes spend time looking for things like a copy of your cyber insurance policy. <laughs> so they know what the payout is, right? Um, so it, yeah, so that it does certainly, uh, you know, foster the proliferation by continuing to reward the threat actors but I also think absent of cyber insurance, a lot of those ransoms would get paid in some fashion anyway. Um, the uh, the one positive thing that is happening in cyber insurance, and I, I, I am in close contact with a lot of the executives of the underwriters and, and also some of the, the newer, smaller cyber insurance players, is you know used to when you, you'd get a cyber insurance policy, they'd give you a questionnaire and they'd say, do you do this? Yes or no? <laughs> Uh, now they're going to start checking. And so I think this is actually a good thing, uh, you know, trust, but verify. So you'll, you'll look at some of the, the, the newer players in the space and you'll see that they're employing technology to validate uh, controls are in place and sort of measure to the best of their ability. And of course, I'm going to use a word that it also has a lot of different connotations, but to the best of their ability, measuring the risk te- from a t- technical perspective before they underwrite the policy. And I think that'll drive better corporate behavior as a result. Like I said earlier, Curtis, you absolutely just crushed this convo out of the park. Um, Christian and I were, this was this is the one that we were looking forward to the most <laughs> during our recording session today. Yeah, sorry it took so, so long to, to get it co- coordinated. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is now uh, you are welcome back anytime. You are going to be the Bruce Willis to the David Letterman. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be you on the show. Too kind. Yeah. <laughs> you too kind. We appreciate you, Curtis. Christian and I will be right back to wrap up today's episode. Well, Curtis is definitely going to be a repeat guest, and I'm glad that he got the Bruce Willis Letterman reference there. He seemed to thoroughly enjoy that. Uh, but boy, I think it knocked him back yeah. off his chair physically. <laughs> what, what a wealth of knowledge, you know, and uh, I, I was just blown away by um, what he had to say. What, what was one of your key takeaways? For sure. Yeah. Well, for me, he has such a good perspective of 
you know, from the from the eyes through the eyes of a cyber criminal, through the eyes of a business leader, through the eyes of cybersecurity people and IT people. You need that whole perspective when you're negotiating ugly, nasty situations like ransomware, which is never good. But if we listen to our esteemed guest today, uh, he'll steer us in the right direction and give us some things to to prepare for. Absolutely. And I love what he was saying there with, um, you know, you can have security by inspection, which is very, you know, reactive and uh, almost bolt on security versus security by design, baking it in from the beginning. I think that was a wonderful paradigm for for him to share with us today. And uh, we're very grateful to Curtis for taking time out of his busy schedule uh, for for joining us. Um, It was just a wonderful episode. And uh, as always, we want to extend a special thank you to our loyal listeners and viewers for joining us each and every week. Uh, If you did happen to miss an episode, uh, please check out the Cybersecurity Matters podcast, um, Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page, I should say. Or if you prefer listening, uh, check out your favorite podcasting platform. But until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll catch you again on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. See you next week. 